So this morning, I'd like to take you to God's Word. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the longest, most extensive chapter in the Bible describing the resurrection of Jesus and its significance. And I want to talk today with you about Christ's body in your body and tomorrow. That's a bit of a mouthful, but hang with me. First of all, my favorite Easter quote from William Willimon. Easter is not about the return of the robin in spring or crocuses or a butterfly coming out of the cocoon or any of that pagan drivel. It's a body that somehow got loose. The gospel accounts strain to describe what happened, but don't make any mistake about it. They're trying to describe something unearthly. Death working backward. Can I hear a praise the Lord in the house? I took this picture a few years ago of one of the few Rolling Stone tombs left in Israel that would date back to the time of Jesus. Nobody was making us up. This was real stuff. And that tomb was empty on Resurrection Sunday morning. Hallelujah. And Jesus threw death into reverse. <laughs> and he rose again. And our lives and history has never been the same. So Paul's going to talk about this in his first letter to the Corinthian church. It was a real church in southern Greece in the city of Corinth. And in his first letter, he, he writes about this in chapter 15. Because although this was a Christian church, there were people who were still scratching their head, a little incredulous that, that anybody could ever rise from the dead. I mean, how? It's medically impossible physically impossible. How could anybody who's been a dead corpse rise again and live? And so Paul is addressing that pushback. And we pick him up kind of in the middle of his argument where he says in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Now, first of all, what's that fallen asleep stuff? Like, did someone take a nap? What does that have to do with their sins and being eternally lost? Well, Paul so believed in the resurrection of Jesus' body and what that will mean as he goes on to explain it for our bodies that he couldn't bring himself to say a Christian dies. I mean, he does once in a while, but usually he uses this euphemism, falling asleep. Because if you fall asleep, hopefully what's going to happen next? You're going to wake up. And he said, we're going to wake up. So death is just a comma. It's not a period. And, and, and just think about it. I want us not only to feel the importance of the resurrection today in our celebrated worship, but I want, I want you to think about it. For he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Now, it's because of the problem of evil and sin that Jesus went to the cross. It's because of that issue of suffering in our world. That, that we, we don't know what to do with sometimes. Like, how could a good God allow suffering in our world? And, 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 and what about evil? And what's ever going to break that? And what about when I'm honest, the evil that's infected my own life and the people I've hurt and, and the things I've done in rebellion against God. I mean, what, what about all of this stuff? And Jesus went 
to the cross to become the shock absorber for evil and to identify with human suffering and literally to take all of our failures, all of our sins on his body, the Bible tells us, on the cross so that by his wounds we could actually be repaired and healed as human beings. This is, is what Jesus did for us. But he's saying, if, if Jesus did all that on the cross, but he didn't rise again, forget it. I mean, we have no hope and no confidence that what he did on the cross would work. In fact, I like what Don, Dr. John Schneider said. If Jesus had died for our sins, but his corpse was simply discarded and left to decompose, the victory over evil would be hollow and morally incomplete at best. For Christians believe that God has defeated the evil of Jesus' suffering and death in full through the resurrection and transformation of Jesus himself. It, it, it's this, the fact that he went past death, that he went past human suffering. Like the famous British Bible teacher, John R. Stott, he says, sometimes we think God's kind of lounging on a celestial deck chair while humanity is starving and struggling and barely surviving. But he says, we're not to picture God on a deck chair. We're to picture him hanging on a cross, identifying with our sin and our suffering and our failure. But it means nothing, Paul says, if he didn't rise from the dead and prove that he did enough to change your life and to secure eternity. That's it. So he goes on in verse 19 to say, for if only in this life we have hope in Christ. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if only in this life we have hope in Christ and there's no resurrection therefore for us, we are of all people most to be pitied. I mean, we look like a sorry lot here today. If all this celebration is about only that Jesus died on the cross for us, but he didn't rise again. Now, I'm painfully aware that some of you are here kicking and screaming today, simply so your family won't disown you. So they dragged you to church. And I'm painfully aware you may still hardly wait till this is over. But I want to tell you, you know, we, we probably look silly to you. I mean, we sing loud. We raise our hands. I'll tell you, from the first song in the first service, I had tears in my eyes, and I've been wiping away snot all morning. Because Jesus is alive. And his resurrection proves that my life can be changed and evil will be dealt with. And he understands my pain and my suffering. But he says in verse 20, even though we may be pitied if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and, and how strange we really would be, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, let's just circle that word and keep it in mind for a moment. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. And then he explains himself. For as in Adam, the first human, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All will be made alive in Christ. But what does that really mean? I mean, he said, he said, Jesus has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
What does this really mean? And, and first of all, it means that as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ's body, there's going to be a resurrection of your body too. It means that God actually has an eternal plan for your body. God actually has it. In fact, if you really explore the Christian faith, you'll find out that the Christian faith has the highest view of the human body of any religious system on the face of the earth. The highest view. Now, I don't know what you think of your body, but God probably thinks better. I noticed statistically most leaders in America tend to be on the taller side. God didn't give me that. I've had that argument with God for a lot of years now. And uh, God didn't also, when I think about my body, didn't make me very athletic. Um, when 500 of us went to see the Springfield Cardinals play last July, you know, they gave me the horrifying privilege of throwing the first pitch. And you saw I don't have an athletic body. In fact, I recruited Pastor Carter and Pastor Jill's uh, son, teenage son, who's a great pitcher, uh, Carter T., to take me out into the Pipkin Field over here and, and kind of coach me on pitching for a few days. And, and then he was my catcher as I got up there to pitch. And the good news is I threw it straight and he caught it. The bad news is, the bad news is it bounced before it got to him. And so this wonderful guy in our church comes up to me afterwards and he tried to encourage me. And he said, you know what, pastor? You preach like you pitch. Too short. Now, I appreciated that. Because nobody ever puts preach and too short beside each other in the same sense. But I did, you know, I, to, you know for exercise I did run since I've been in college. I've been kind of a runner until recently. And um, I... Uh, so it was actually an Easter weekend a few years ago. I entered uh, one of the runs uh, that uh, sponsored by the city of Springfield, a 5K run. It was at Sequiota Park, and, and it was really cold. It was like yesterday morning. It kind of got in the 30s in the morning, and there was a wind, and I think it kind of cut down on the crowd a little bit. But, but I ran the 5K, and I got to the end, and to my surprise, I came in second in my age category. And for the first time in my life, I got a medal and a nice bow to hang it around my neck. And I was going, well, maybe this body's doing okay. Until I found out there was only two people in my age. <laughs> so I gave up. But I want to tell you, God has a higher view of your body than you probably do. And that's why he's got an eternal plan for your body. And so, we've been in 1 Corinthians 15, like nine chapters earlier in chapter 6. Paul's probably anticipating, among other things, chapter 15. And so, he says this about your body. Don't you know, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Who you have received from Christ? The Holy Spirit is the resurrection spirit of Jesus. And his resurrection spirit can actually live in our lives because unlike your pets, you are uniquely created in the image of God. And so your temple can actually sanctuary the presence of God. That's why no matter what you think about your body, it's pretty important. And not only that, you're not your own. 
Your body doesn't belong to you anymore because of what Jesus did in the cross. He purchased you for himself. He lays claim on your body. He, 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 he has plans for your body. He has plans for, in, in the context of 1 Corinthians 6, sexual morality and self-control and, and, and our personal health and our, our using our bodies to serve others. He's got plans for all of this. And beyond that, he's got an eternal plan for your body. And that's where we come back to 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul will talk about that. In verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. There's sleep again. We will not all sleep. Like some of us who are living, not all of us will die before this happens. But we will all be changed. Now I know some churches have put that on the door of the nursery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. But this is not where he's going. He is saying, there's a day that Jesus is gonna come again. And his eternal plan for your body and mind is gonna be realized. And for some of us, it'll be the atoms of our decayed body that will reassemble supernaturally. For others of us who are alive when Jesus comes, and the code for that would be the trumpet sound that, that signals victory and finality and triumph. He said, well, we will all be changed. We're not, maybe not all of us are going to die before Jesus comes. But we're going to be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. That's pretty fast. And at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, not perishable, but imperishable. And we will be changed. That's God's plan for your body. That's going to be the ultimate culmination. Paul calls it the redemption of our body in Romans chapter 8. Like we've been redeemed when we come to Christ. We're forgiven. His resurrection spirit lives in us. But God's not quite done with his saving work yet. Someday, at the last trump, he's even going to transform your body. Because Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead, and he is the first fruits of the resurrection. And because he lives, we also shall live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he says in verse, in these verses, that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I want you to notice what he's not saying. Neither Jesus nor Paul ever taught the eternal annihilation of personhood. That death will be the final period and you don't exist as a person anymore. In fact, I saw I, I, a number of years ago, I, I heard an atheist say, you know what, I would rather believe in hell and maybe even go to hell rather than the pain of facing the annihilation eternally of my personhood. But God doesn't do that. Your personhood's not going to be annihilated. Neither here is Paul or Jesus teaching us, and I say this respectfully, but I want to say it clearly, he's not teaching us that our bodies will be reincarnated, that we will go into cycle after cycle of physical existence. No, he's saying, we don't believe in reincarnation, we believe in resurrection. And resurrection transforms our bodies so that we're eternally with him. Neither is Paul teaching us that we'll spend all eternity with God as disembodied spirits. Think about it. 
I mean, right now, if you die, before the day Jesus comes, the Apostle Paul elsewhere says, to be absent from the body, that's when we die, is to be where? For a believer, present with the Lord. So, so you know, my mom died just two years ago, Easter, and, and my dad died 15, 16 years ago, and I'm going to see them someday. They're in the, they love Jesus. They're in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. But I could take you to their graves where their bodies, to be honest, are decomposing. But that's not God's ultimate plan, that you just be in the presence of the Lord as a disembodied spirit for all eternity. But there is coming a day when the, Paul will tell us elsewhere when the dead in Christ will rise first. And, 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 and those atoms are going to reassemble. And in resurrected bodies, we will live in resurrected bodies like Jesus, like Jesus' resurrected bodies. And these bodies aren't subject to death because this means death and evil will not have the final word on our tomorrows. Death and evil will not have the final word on our tomorrows. For Paul will go on to say, for the perishable, I mean, this body right now, it maybe could run a 5K run, but it's still perishable and not even very good at that. But it's, it's perishable. It's weak. It's frail. I felt a little, you know, a little pain in my, in my legs when I got up this morning. It's frail. But there's coming a day when the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. That's the resurrected body of Jesus. They could kill his physical body, and they did at the cross, but he rose again with a resurrected body, and he's the first fruits of God's plan for you and me. And then he kind of starts waxing eloquent when, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and when the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, and he'll quote Isaiah 25, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It's swallowed up in the victory and triumph of Jesus' resurrection. I often quote that verse at a graveside where it seems so final and so bitterly painful, where we're committing a body to the ground, dust to dust, ash to ashes, that family's weeping, they realize they'll never see this person again, never touch them again. It's so final. And sometimes I scan around that graveyard and I see gravestones and grave monuments sometimes. And I say to myself, every one of those gravestones and every one of those monuments is a monument to a lie that infected the earth with the first human beings, Adam and Eve. It was a lie that you can do better at being God than God can. And so Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Evil and sin infected our world. That's why Jesus came to take it on at the cross. And that's why he's coming again to finish what he started at the cross. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory. And I think you all know that trying to be God doesn't work well. I call it the disappointment of happiness in our culture. I mean, we've been more obsessed in the last 20 years with personal pleasure and happiness in American culture and pushing God aside than ever. And yet our depression rates and our suicide rates are higher than ever. Our addiction rates are higher than ever. It seems like it's harder than ever even to stay faithful in relationships. I want to tell you, it doesn't work to try to be your own God. We've had, we've had all this history 
all this empirical evidence of human history that being our own gods doesn't work, that sin and evil, when we've given place to it in rebellion against God, it doesn't work. But I want to tell you there's some good news this resurrection day. Death has been swallowed up in victory. My favorite uh, 20th century political leader, I guess you'd call him, was Winston Churchill. I like reading about his life. I've read quite a bit. And he was just, uh, he, was, he was a crazy eccentric in some ways. But he was brilliant in the way he helped save the Western world from the horse, horrors and racism and genocide of Nazism. We're told that he planned his own funeral to the detail. We're told that he selected the hymns he wanted sung, the great hymns of the church. He selected the liturgy that would be read. And at the end of his funeral, he, he arranged for a bugler to be up. This was in the great St. Paul's Cathedral in London. A bugler was up on one side of that great dome. And at the end of the service, the bugler began to sound the taps, the universal sign that the day is over. And then there was just quietness, kind of an echoing quietness in that cathedral. And to everybody's shock, it turns out that Churchill had also arranged for a bugler on the other side of the dome to start playing the reveille. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. Hallelujah.